Alhamdulillah Nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'akfiruhu wa na'udhu billahi min shururi anfusina wa min sayyati a'malina man yahdihillahu falamudillala wa man yudlil falahadiyala wa ashadu an la ilaha illallahu wahdahu la sharikala wa ashhadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluhu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam amma ba'd we continue with the explanation of the 40 hadith of al-imam an-nawawi rahimahullah ta'ala rahmatan wasi'ah in the last class we mentioned the conditions of la ilaha illallah and that these conditions have to be fulfilled in order for the person's statement of la ilaha illallah to be accepted. Today or tonight, ta'ala, we will go through the proofs and evidences for those conditions. As it is a must that we as believers we know the proofs and evidences for the things that we believe so that our belief is based upon knowledge and not based upon ignorance or doubt or the blind following of others without knowing what the evidences are. The first condition, al-ilm, al-munafi lil-jahil. The first condition is knowledge, which negates ignorance. And what is intended by al-ilm, al-munafi lil-jahil, meaning having knowledge of the meaning of la ilaha illallah. For if a person says la ilaha illallah, but he doesn't understand and know what he or she is saying, and it's just a statement, then this is not going to be of benefit. Because it's important that the person, when entering into the fold of Islam, and saying la ilaha illallah, they know what they are doing. As Allah Azza wa Jal, He says, commanding the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, فَعَلَمْ وَفَعَلَمُوا أَنَّمَا أُنْجِلَ بِعِلْمِ اللَّهِ وَأَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّهُ Know or have knowledge that that which has been revealed by the knowledge of Allah and that la ilaha illahu and that none has the right to be worshipped except for him. This is what Allah revealed to the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu from the Quran. In Imam al-Baghawi he says regarding this verse, the meaning is fa'alamu an la ilaha illahu. Have knowledge that none has the right to be worshipped except for him. And then in Surah Muhammad, 
there was a direct command to Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Fa'lam annahu la ilaha illallah. Have knowledge, meaning O Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, that none has the right to be worshipped except for Allah. Ibn Jarir al-Tabri, rahimahullah, he says, يَقُولْ تَعَالَى ذِكْرُ لِنَبِيِّهِ مُحَمَّدٍ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ فَعَلَمْ يَا مُحَمَّدْ أَنَّهُ لَا مَعْبُودٍ تَنْبَغِي أو تَسْلُحْ لَهُ الْأُلُوهِيَّ وَيَجُوزْ لَكَ وَلِلْخَلْقِ عِبَادَتُهُ إِلَّا اللَّهَ الَّذِي هُوَ خَالِقُ الْخَلْقِ وَمَالِكْ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ Imam At-Tabari, he says that Allah, the Most High, he says to his Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, have knowledge, O Muhammad, that there is nothing that is worship that is befitting or suitable to have divinity and is permissible for you and for the creation to worship except for Allah, the one who is the creator of the creation and the owner of everything. So here Allah Azza wa Jal commands Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu to have knowledge of La ilaha illallah. Not just say it, but to have knowledge of it. So it's important that when we say La ilaha illallah, that we have knowledge of what we are saying. That we know what we are saying. Just as Allah has commanded Prophet Muhammad to have knowledge of La ilaha illallah, we are commanded to have knowledge of La ilaha illallah. Another proof is the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal, "Illa man shahida bil haq wa hum yaalamun." Except for the one who bears witness to the truth, or those who bear witness to the truth and they know. Imam Tabari he said, "Wa shahadatuhu bil haq huwa ikraruhu bi tawhidillah." يعني بذلك إلا من آمن بالله وهم يعلمون حقيقة التوحيد. وقال الإمام البغوي وأراد بشهادة الحق قول لا إله إلا الله وهم يعلمون بقلوبهم ما شاهدوا به ألسنتهم أو بألسنتهم. so Imam Tabari he says his testimony or witnessing of the truth it is the person's acknowledgement of the oneness of Allah and what's intended by that. The one who believes in Allah and they know for surety the reality of Allah's oneness, meaning Allah having the right to be worshipped. Imam al baghawi said, What Allah intends by the person testifying to the truth, the truth here is the statement of La ilaha illallah. This is the truth. And they know with their hearts, with surety, that which their tongues have testified to. So again, it's not just a person says, La ilaha illallah, and he doesn't know what he's saying or believe what he's saying. It's a must that he knows what he's saying and he has belief regarding what he says. The Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, Man mata, وَهُوَ يَعْلَمْ أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهَا إِلَى اللَّهِ دَخَلَ الْجَنَّةِ 
that whoever dies and he knows. See here this narration doesn't mention he says. Here it says and he knows that none has the right to be worshipped except for Allah. This person will enter into the paradise. So this is a clear text and proof that one must have knowledge of the meaning of la ilaha illallah. And not just say it. One says it and one understands and knows what it means. For sure, that's coming. The next condition, al-yaqeen al-munafi shak Certainty which negates doubt. And what is intended by al-yaqeen or certainty, al-ilm, al-ilm, al-rasikh, fil-qalb, al-thabit fi. It is the sure, grounded knowledge that is established in the heart. Meaning that it is that knowledge that doesn't waver. You are sure of la ilaha illallah, you have no doubts about it whatsoever. Allah Azza wa Jal, He mentions, إِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِاللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ ثُمَّ لَمْ يَرْتَابُوا The believers are only those who believe in Allah and His Messenger and they do not have any doubt. It is important as it relates to the Quran, as it relates to the Sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad that we believe with surety and we do not have any doubt whatsoever. Because to doubt something that Allah says is a matter of disbelief. Because we believe, a part of our belief is that Allah is truthful. And Allah, He doesn't lie. No, it's kufr. It's major kufr to doubt what Allah says. It's major kufr to say, well, I'm not sure. As an example, Allah says that Prophet Muhammad sallallahu is khatim al nabiyyin He's the seal of the Prophet. A person says he's not sure if Prophet Muhammad is the last Prophet or not. That's doubt. No, you have to be sure about what Allah says. No doubts whatsoever. If Allah says Prophet Muhammad is the last in the seal of the Prophets, alhamdulillah, that's what the situation is. Allah Azza wa mentions in the Quran there's going to be a day of judgment. That's what the situation is going to be. Allah Azza wa mentions that there's paradise and hellfire in the Quran. Then there's paradise and hellfire as mentioned in the Quran. You have to have sure faith. You have to have sure faith. You cannot have doubts about what Allah has stated. Or what Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam has stated. Having doubts about the word of Allah is from the characteristics of the munafiqeen. As Allah Azza wa Jal, He described the munafiqeen that they have marad. Fi kulubihim maradun. In their hearts there is a sickness. The sickness that's in their heart is the sickness of hypocrisy, the sickness of doubt. In Allah's word. So we as believers, we don't have no doubts about what Allah has stated. We believe Him. And this is a part of our faith. But it's not just a blind faith. We believe based upon the knowledge that Allah has given us of that which He informed us of. So one must have sure faith and not waver back and forth. Is it the truth? Is it not the truth? For this is from the characteristics of the hypocrites.
Allah Azza wa Jal, He mentions, وَارْتَابَتْ قُلُوبُهُمْ فَهُمْ فِي رَيْبِهِمْ يَتَرَدَّدُونَ So their hearts doubt it, and they are in their doubts wavering back and forth. This is how Allah Azza wa Jal described the people of doubt, that they waver in their doubt back and forth. So the scholars, they say, فَلَا إِمَانَ لِمَنْ قَالَهَا شَاكًا مُرْتَابًا وَلَوْ قَالَهَا بِعَدِدِ الْأَنْفَاسِ That there is no faith for the one who says لَا إِلَهَا إِلَى اللَّهِ But he's in doubt. No matter if he has said it basically a number of times. If this individual says La ilaha illallah the amount, of ti- the amount of times Of the amount of human beings on the earth If he has doubt In his heart about the statement of La ilaha illallah It doesn't benefit him Because he doesn't believe with surety A proof That one must have certainty regarding La ilaha illallah The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam He said Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wa anni rasulullah la yalqallaha bihima abdun ghayru shak fihima illa dakhala aljanna Prophet Muhammad he said sallallahu alayhi wa sallam I bear witness that none has the right to be worshiped except for Allah and I bear witness that I am the messenger of Allah no servant Meet Allah with these two statements without having any doubt in them except that he will enter to paradise. Meaning that the one who meets Allah with certainty regarding La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, his abode will be the paradise because he didn't have any doubt. Another narration, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he mentioned to Abu Hurairah. And this was one day the Prophet ﷺ, he was missing from the Sahaba for some time. So they became afraid that maybe someone did something to him. So Abu Huraira, he went looking for him. And he came to like a, a garden that has like a wall around it, but it had like a small entrance where you can go in because the water comes through. And he found the Messenger ﷺ in the garden. So Abu Huraira mentioned, O Messenger of Allah, we were afraid something happened to you and the people are looking for you. So he said to Abu Huraira, فَمَنْ لَقِيْتَ مِنْ وَرَاءِ هَذَا الْحَائِطِ يَشْهَدْ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَا إِلَى اللَّهِ مُسْتَيْقِنًا بِهَا قَلْبُ فَبَشِّرُهُ لِجَنَّةِ Whoever you meet behind over this wall, Testifying to la ilaha illallah His heart being certain about it Give him glad tidings that he's going to paradise And it's mentioned If I'm not mistaken the Prophet had gave Abu Huraira his sandal So that the people know that this is coming from him So when he came out he met Umar And he mentioned the narration to Umar And Umar struck him on his chest and said, be careful what you're narrating. 
So Abu Hurairah went back to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam complaining that you told me to give the glad tidings. I told Umar he hit me in my chest, knocked me down. And he said when Abu Hurairah went back to the Prophet, he was like wheezing almost. So Umar came and the Prophet said, Oh Umar, did you strike Abu Hurairah? He said, Oh Messenger of Allah, he mentioned this narration. He said, if he narrates to this narration to the people, the people will depend upon it and leave off doing actions. So leave the people to do actions. So the Prophet said, leave them to do the actions. But the shahid or the point is that the Prophet Sallallahu mentioned the word or the statement, that the person's heart has surety of the kalima of la ilaha illallah. So when a person says la ilaha illallah, he has to be certain about what he's saying. And not saying la ilaha illallah, but then in his heart he's not sure if it really is the truth or not. The next condition, al-ikhlas al-munafi lishirk. Sincerity, that which negates a shirk. This condition is the foundation of all of the conditions. And what is intended here is that when a person says it, he intends by it that he's truly entering into the fold of Islam, believing. And he is not doing it for a hidden agenda or a reason other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he mentioned, أَسْعَدُ النَّاسِ بِشَفَاعَةِ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ مَنْ قَالَ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَى اللَّهِ خَالِصًا مِنْ قَلْبِهِ أَوْ مِنْ نَفْسِهِ The most happy of the people with my intercession on the Day of Judgment is the one who says La ilaha illallah sincerely from his heart. Now, you see the importance of when studying a topic, you have to bring all of the narrations together. Because you don't have one narration that mentions sincerity, certainty, truthfulness, knowledge. You don't have one narration like that. But you have different narrations where these different matters are mentioned about one topic, about one situation here. So it's important that all of the narrations are brought together. So now you see, okay, the proof that you have to have knowledge, the proof that you have to have certainty, the proof that you have to have sincerity, and so on. But if you just take one narration and overlook the others, then the person is going to fall short as it relates to the matter at hand. So the Prophet said, the most happy of the people were my intercession on the day of judgment, the one who says La ilaha illallah sincerely from his heart or from himself. So here, Barakallah fikum, sincerity is a must. As is the case with all acts of ibadah. La ilaha illallah is a, state, is a statement of ibadah, is a statement of worship. We say this seeking nearness to Allah. This is not a slogan, this is our worship that we are, are saying. It's not just something we just say and there's no meaning behind it. There's no sincerity behind it. There's no intention of getting closer to Allah behind it. No, when we say this, we mean it. 
We understand what we're saying, we believe in it, we have certainty, and we, we are doing it for the sake of Allah, to please Allah Azzawajal, like in all other acts of worship. The Prophet ﷺ, he mentioned, فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ حَرَّمَ عَلَى النَّارِ مَنْ قَالَ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَى اللَّهِ يَبْتَغِي بِذَلِكَ وَجْهَ اللَّهِ the Prophet Muhammad said, Indeed, Allah has made the hellfire prohibited for the one who says, La ilaha illallah, seeking by that the face of Allah. Meaning sincerity. Here's the question though. There are some narrations that mention that there will be some Muslims in the hellfire and what will save them is their belief meaning will cause them to come out of the hellfire. So how do we understand those narrations that mention that there will be Muslims in the hellfire and then eventually they will come out? And then this narration where the Prophet said Allah has prohibited the hellfire for the one who says La ilaha illallah seeking the face of Allah. How do you bring the harmony between the two? No, well, the ones, the, 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 the hadith or the narrations that I mentioned about the believers coming out the hellfire, they are Muslims. They said it, they meant it. But they had some sins that Allah didn't forgive them for. So they have to be punished and cleansed from those sins. So, how do we understand those narrations that speak about the Muslims coming out of the hellfire? And in this narration that the Prophet says, Allah has made the hellfire haram upon the one who says, La ilaha illallah, seeking the face of Allah. No, those Muslims said it sincerity. I mean, sincerely. That's why they're coming out. They're Muslims. Huh? No, how do you bring harmony between the two texts? Because apparently it looks like a contradiction. And we know there's no contradiction in Islam. Okay, one hadith is saying the hellfire is haram for those who say la ilaha illallah sincerely. The other narrations are saying that there are Muslims who will come out of the hellfire eventually. Well, that's the point why they're in there. They didn't make tawbah, and Allah didn't forgive them for whatever sin they committed. This is why they're in there to be cleansed. Yes. Yes. That's right there. One of the meanings that Allah has made the hellfire prohibited for the one who says La ilaha illallah, seeking the face of Allah by that, in a permanent way, meaning there is a group of Muslims who will never go to the hellfire. The second meaning is Allah has made the hellfire prohibited uh, upon the Muslims, meaning that they won't be in there forever. Okay. Okay, so you have two groups of Muslims. A group of Muslims who will never go to the hellfire. They go straight to paradise. And then you have the group of Muslims who will go to the hellfire, but then eventually they will come out. So the ones you have in it, you have the group that Allah has prohibited the hellfire from them in totality. They will not be burnt or punished in the fire. And then you have those who Allah has prohibited the hellfire from, per- from punishing them forever. 
They, they will get punished, but not forever. This understood? There's two, because there's two types of Muslims. Some Muslims, Allah will save them from the hellfire in totality. They will not go to hell at all. And then you have a group of Muslims, they will go to the hellfire because of their sins and they did not make tawbah and Allah did not forgive them. But their presence in the hellfire is only temporary. So Allah prohibited the hellfire from punishing them forever. So the prohibition here is Allah prohibiting the hellfire from punishing the Muslims at all, meaning those who go straight to paradise, or Allah prohibits the hellfire from punishing the Muslims who are in it forever, meaning they will come out. There's a hadith that mentions that the last of the Muslims will come out of hell, out of the hellfire. And no one will remain in the hellfire illa man habasahum al-Quran. And no one else remains in the hellfire except for the ones the Quran imprisoned to be in the hellfire forever. Meaning those who disbelieve. As for the believer, no believer will remain in hellfire forever if he goes. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam he mentions a man or Allah Azza wa Jal will uh, allow the people to intercede. The hadith is in Bukhari on the authority of Abu Sa'id al-Qudri. And the Muslims will be able to intercede for their Muslim families to bring them out of the hellfire. The Malaika will intercede. Prophet Muhammad sallallahu first and foremost will intercede for his ummah. And then you will have different levels of people in the hellfire. Right? And then you have, it mentions, مَنْ لَمْ يَعْمَلْ خَيْرًا قَطْ the one who didn't do no good. But he will have like a small amount of faith. Like a mustard seed. He will have a small amount of faith, and that faith, it will save him. It, huh? Say that again. Praying five times a day, fasting in Ramadan, paying your zakat, making hajj. You know, fearing Allah as a wajal on a daily, being consistent in your ibadah, in your worship, in your practice. Yes, this is what will save a person. You know, Allah as a wajal has given us so many ways to protect ourselves. Look, look, look at the, the mercy of Allah. For every good deed you do, you get rewarded from 10 to 700. For every sin you do is only one. You understand? You have to have a lot of sins to outweigh your good if you're doing good. You, because for every one good deed, 10 to 700, the least you get is 10. The most you can get is 700 or more if Allah wills. For one good deed. Look at the five daily prayers. Allah told Prophet Muhammad وسلم, whoever prays the five daily prayers will get the reward for, for praying 50. And what's intended here is not you're going to get 50 rewards. No, you're going to get the reward for praying 50 salats, which means at the least how much? Huh? 500. 50, 50 times 10 is 500. Remember Allah Azawajal first commanded Prophet Muhammad وسلم, with 50 salats. And then when he came down, Musa said, what did your Lord command you with? He said, 50 prayers. He said, go back and ask him to decrease. 
And Allah kept decreasing the number of salats to be prayed in a day until he reached five. And then when he descended, Musa said, how much? He said five. Musa said, go back. We were commanded with less than that, and we didn't fulfill. Go back. And the Prophet said, I'm shy to go back and ask for a decrease in the amount. And then Allah decreed, whoever prays the five, you get the reward for 50. Some people misunderstand and think that five, meaning five times 10, so you get the 50. No. You get the reward as if you prayed the 50, so 50 times 10, which is the 500. That's for five daily prayers. So a person really has to be evil, you understand, and, and abandoning uh, the good to cause himself to be in the hellfire because Allah is most merciful and the bestower of mercy. And even, subhanAllah, when a person doesn't make tawbah, right, if it's not a major sin, your good deeds wipe out your lesser sins without you making tawbah, right? Like the five daily prayer, a man, he kissed a woman that wasn't his wife in the time of the Prophet Sallallahu And he was afraid, he came to Prophet Muhammad, he said, I, I kissed a woman and I did some things with her I shouldn't have done. He didn't have relations with her, but he kissed her and did other things. The Prophet said, did you pray with us? He said, yes. So he mentioned the statement of Allah, إِنَّ الْحَسَّنَاتِ يُذْهِبْنَ السَّيِّئَاتِ Indeed, the good deeds wipe out the bad deeds. The Prophet Sallallahu said, وَأَتْبِعِ السَّيِّئَةَ الْحَسَنَةَ تَمْحُهَا And follow up the bad deed with a good one, it will wipe it out. We have so many things that are in place for the servant to receive the forgiveness of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala and have his bad deeds erased. Coming to the masjid for salah, every step you take, one good deed and one bad deed removed. Every time you go into rukur and come up and go into sujood, come up, a bad deed is removed, a good deed is added to your scale. These are serious things. Allah Azza wa Jal forgave a prostitute from Bani Israel because she gave a dog something to drink from water when the dog was thirsty. So many ways. So many ways, so many paths of goodness. Do you understand? But we, dis we, ha we harm ourselves. We wrong ourselves by being negligent as it relates to the duties and responsibilities that Allah has placed upon us. And what Allah has placed upon us to do is not something that's beyond our capability. Allah, as the Wajali mentioned, Allah doesn't burden a soul beyond the capability. So meaning that whatever the duties and responsibilities that are upon us as men and women, they're within our capability. And whatever we don't have the ability to do, then we know that the obligation is removed. So what's the issue? What's the excuse for not doing good? What's the excuse? We really have no excuse. The Prophet Sallallahu he mentioned, either amartukum bi shay'in fa'tu minhum mastata'tum. When I command you to do something, do it or do of it as much as, as much as you have the ability to do. So now look, commandments are based upon capability. Commandments are based upon capability. If you don't have the ability, as an example, to make hajj, you're not obligated to make hajj. If you don't have the money to pay zakat, you're not obligated to pay zakat. 
If you don't have the ability to fast in Ramadan because you're sick, you're not obligated to fast in Ramadan. You're excused. That's Allah's mercy. Say that again. For sure, but the point is that as it, as it relates to obligations, obligations are based upon capability because not everyone has the ability to fulfill an obligation. But now look what he said as it relates to the prohibitions. And when I forbid you from something, stay away from it. He didn't say stay away from it as much as you're able because everyone has the ability not to do evil. Everyone has the ability, right? What's easier? Don't touch the mountain or move the mountain. Which one? Don't touch it, right? <laughs> it's much easier. If, if you're giving two, don't touch the mountain. Okay, or you just don't touch it. You have the ability. But now if it said move the mountain, now that's going to be based upon capability. So everyone has the ability not to do evil. But it's the desires that we have within ourselves and the weakness that we have in our faith that causes us to fall into the sins. But even when we fall into sins, what Allah says, قُلْ يَا عِبَادِيَ الَّذِينَ أَسْرَفُوا عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ لَا تَقْنَتُ مِنْ رَحْمَةِ اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَغْفِرُ الظُّنُوبَ جَمِعًا Say, O oh my servants who have wronged themselves, meaning by committing sins, don't despair from the mercy of Allah. Allah forgives all sins. Allah forgives all, everything. But you have to turn to Him in repentance. Right? إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَقْبَلُ تَوْبَةَ الْعَبْدِ مَا لَمْ Indeed, Allah, He accepts the repentance of the servant as long as he has not started that gargle of death, meaning when the death angel comes and begins to take your soul. At, until that time, the door of repentance is open for every one of us. So what's the excuse? For sure we have, and, and, and wallahi billah, thummatallah, these are simple things that we can do. We just have to be consistent. Get up and pray. You know, be kind to people. Right? Fulfill your duties and responsibilities to your families. And yeah, I don't know. And when doing evil, one should keep in mind the outcome of it at the end. It may feel good at the moment. For sure, the, but the enjoyment is temporary. It's a, it's, a, it's a quick pleasure, but then may lead to a lifetime of pain and sorrow. So an intelligent person is not going to give up that which is everlasting for that which is temporary. It's not intelligent to do that. But at times, we, all of us, we don't do the right thing and the best thing, even though we know better. Even though we know better, we still choose to disobey Allah. You know, but even with that, Allah still forgives us when we ask Allah to forgive us. Look at the mercy of Allah. The Prophet mentioned, Sallallahu Alaihi that when a servant commits a sin, the angel who writes down the sins does not write down the sin for six hours. Six hours. Sit the sa'ah. If he makes tawbah, 
It's not even written. If he doesn't make Tawbah, then the angel writes it. But you still have the ability to make Tawbah. The only difference is that it's written in your book that you committed the sin. But Allah forgave you. So when a person sins, he has six hours. A six-hour window period before the angel writes it in your book of bad deeds. What's the excuse? It's no excuse. Wallahi, Allah has, this is mercy from Allah. That you can commit a sin and repent with sincere repentance, the angel doesn't even write it down. So when you come on the day of judgment, that's not even going to be in your book. Because you repented before the six-hour period. And again, if you don't repent within the six-hour period and the angel writes it in your book, you still can make toba for it. It's just that it's in your book. But it's also that Allah forgave you for that. Well, shaitan is, is definitely one who whispers to us matters to cause grief and sorrow. So we have to seek refuge with Allah from the whispers of the shaitan. But one of the, one of the things that we can do to start our day off in a good way, pray Qiyamul Layl and then Salat al-Fajr. The Prophet mentioned that the one who does this, he will wake up in a good mood and energetic. This is a remedy for that. But also we must understand that every day is not going to be a good day in life. Allah Azza wa Jal, He alternates the day. Some days, alhamdulillah, we have goodness, happiness, enjoyment, and then some days we're tested. But why is that? If every day was a good day, if every day was a good day, we would not know what it means to be grateful for good days because it becomes a norm. Every day is good. And if every day was a bad day, we would fall into despair. We have no hope for the good. So Allah alternates the days. So when the bad days come, we're patient. We're patient because we know... That after the hardship comes the ease, and with patience comes victory, and with difficulty, you understand, and with it comes triumph and all of We know that because we done lived it already. Come, every one of us, we have bad days, and after that, the good days came. Come on, every one of us can testify to that. This is the truthness of what Allah has stated in Prophet Muhammad. Sallallahu and now, and when the good days do come around, alhamdulillah, we're grateful for them because we know what it is to experience hardship and difficulty. So Allah, He alternates the days. And this is why the Prophet, He said, Amazing is the affair of the believer. Amazing is the affair of the believer. And no one has a similar affair or an affair like this except for the believer. Right? Because all of his affairs are good. In asabathu sarra. If some matter of happiness and goodness afflicts him or comes upon, he's grateful. And if some harm or some difficulty happens to him, he's patient. And that's good for him. 
And that's for no one except for the believer. So no matter what the believer is going through, his affair is always good. Because when times are rough, he's patient. When times are good, he's grateful. He's grateful. But here's my question to you all. Who's better with Allah? The grateful rich person or the patient poor person? Uh, who's better? What you say, Sheikh? The great, the grateful rich person or the the patient poor person? Yes. Mm. Yes. 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 One thing you mentioned that was important, it depends on the person. That's very important. Because you may have a patient, poor person, or a person who's patient upon calamities. His patience is greater than a person's gratitude. And then it may be the opposite. There's a person who's grateful, and his gratefulness is greater than the person's patience. So it goes back to the individual, himself or herself. Because you have different texts where the, the patient person is praised, the poor person is praised for his pay, and then you have the text that praise the people who have wealth. At one of the proofs, I give you an example. The Prophet Muhammad said the poor people will enter into paradise 500 years before the rich people. So some scholars say, see, the poor people are better. The scholars say, no. The only reason why they're going into paradise first because they have less to answer for. <laughs> the rich people have more money, so they're more accountable. So that's why they're going to paradise first. Whereas the rich people, they have to be accountable. Where you get the money from? What you spend the money on? You understand? And then you have to... But look at this narration. The Sahaba complained. They said, oh, Messenger of Allah, the rich people have run away with the rewards. Meaning because they have money and they spend their money for Allah's sake. The Prophet said, okay. Say subhanAllah, alhamdulillah, and this you'll get the reward. So now the poor people say, okay, alhamdulillah, we have something now. The rich people heard about the narration, so they start saying subhanAllah, alhamdulillah. And they came back to the Messenger of Allah and said, oh, Messenger of Allah, the rich people are now saying what you told us to say. What did the Prophet say? That's the virtue of Allah he gives to whomever he wills. So the matter goes back to The best of you with Allah are those who have the most piety. So whichever one of the two has the most piety, that's the best of the two. Even though both are praiseworthy. The one who, is, is, who has blessings from Allah and he's grateful, that's a praiseworthy trait. And the one who's being tested and tried in his life but he's patient upon those trials, this individual also has a praiseworthy trait. So this is why the prophet, he said, that amazing is the affair of the believer. If he's given good, he's grateful. If he's afflicted with some difficulty and hardship, he's patient. 
So no matter what the situation of the believer, he's always in a good state. And as the brother, he alluded to, the statement of Alhamdulillah in all cases. The Prophet Aisha radiallahu anha, she mentioned, كَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ يَذْكُرُ اللَّهَ عَلَى كُلِّ أَحْيَانِهِ That the Messenger وسلم, used to remember Allah in all of his situations. Meaning in times of good, as well as in times of difficulty. The Prophet used to say, Alhamdulillah ala uh, 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 hal. All praise is due to Allah in all situations. In all situations. Even when times are rough, all praise is due to Allah. Why? Because it can be worse. It can be worse. So the Prophet said, Unduru, look at who? Who the Prophet told us to look at? The one who was under us. Not the one who was above us. Because by looking at the one who was under you, it will be better for you so that you do not deny the favors of Allah upon you. And what's, what's meant by those who are under you, meaning in matters of doing you. You have a house, you pass by someone who is homeless on the street. You look, you see the individual, you're grateful. And of course, if you can help out, you help out. But the point is that you see someone has something or is in a situation that you're not in. And Allah has protected you from that. It makes you grateful. But if you're constantly looking at those who have the big mansions and you only have an apartment, it's going to make you downplay the blessings that you have. So the Prophet said, look at those who are below you and not those who are above you, meaning in worldly affairs. Right, so, so that you do not deny the blessings of Allah upon you. Because a lot of times we constantly looking at what we don't have. What about the things we have? Even if we say it's a little bit. But there are some people who don't have nothing, literally. There are some people who are living in extreme conditions, in bad conditions, in oppressive conditions, and we're not in that. So when we see these individuals, we thank Allah for what we have. And this is something we must teach our children, especially in this day and time, where you find that a lot of children are spoiled. And everything, it always has to be that they get what they want. We have to break these children out of this type of mentality and this habit that they always have to get what they want. And we have to teach them to be grateful for what they have. And not always look to have what they don't have. The Prophet ﷺ, he mentioned that whenever we see a sick person, right, to make dua. All praise is due to Allah, the one who has protected me from that which he has tested you with. And has given virtue to me over many from the creation. These are du'as to show gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's very important, barakallah fikum, that we are grateful for the things that we have. And whenever we are tested with days of hardship, that we are patient upon this because after the hardship comes two eases. Right. Hardship here is mentioned in the definite sense and ease is indefinite. Right? So indeed with the hardship there is an ease and again with the hardship, meaning that same hardship, there's another ease. That's how, that's how the, verses the verses are understood. So two eases for one hardship. Again, a mercy from Allah. 
So just be patient, no matter what the situation is, the ease will come. The ease will come. So when we face with the, the tough days, or we say the people say the bad days, understand that this is a test from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And a means of purification. Perhaps we committed a sin and we need to go through this to purify us from that sin. So that when we stand in front of Allah on the day of judgment, the sins are gone because we went through so much test in the life of this world that it purified us and cleansed us. For sure. But here at the same time, the good is also a test. Yes. The who? Who is the? Who are you dealing with? Yes. Both are tests. Yes. Yes. Are you going to? Are you going to be grateful? Yes. That's a test. Yes. That is a test. But you know, you know, Sheikh. Some people is a blessing for them to be poor. Why? Because if they were rich. They would disobey Allah. They'll be going around town, spending the money, partying, drinking, everything. So Allah keeps them poor so to keep them in a state of obedience. And some people, if they were poor, they would disbelieve. So Allah gives them to keep them content and focused. So we never know the wisdom behind, the full wisdom behind an affair. You understand? So people just should be patient with their situation and grateful at the same time. Yes. Yes, that is the ultimate blessing. Yes, that's the ultimate blessing. Hayakumullah. That's right. Jazakallah khair. Yes. Those people Alhamdulillah. Allah, alhamdulillah for the blessing of Islam and the blessing of the Sunnah. No, jazakallah khairan. Yes. Believe me. Sheikh, some of us, we were, we, we were raised as non-Muslims. So we understand and know the blessings of being a Muslim. Because some of us, prior to being Muslims, we were not good people. And we were in a bad situation. And then Allah, He guided us. Some of us. And this is an experience maybe that some of you brothers who were born and raised Muslims, you won't ever experience. Because alhamdulillah, you will come from Muslim families and generations of Muslims. But there are some of us, we don't have that. We didn't come from generations of Muslims. Rather, we accepted Islam because we see the beauty of Islam. Yes, we've seen the truth. But you know what's sad? In this time, some of our Muslim youth who were raised in Muslim homes, they don't appreciate Islam. They don't appreciate it. They don't appreciate it. But take it from... But listen, yes.
Allahumma sta'an. Allahumma sta'an. And I like you to the chest to go to the Allah Musta'ah. Yes. Allah. Jazakallah khair. Yes. Jazakallah khair. If somebody wakes up, they tell you, you go for and you are not able to fight off in the morning, do not expect Allah. Last of the day, can imagine that. Allah, Allah, he said, Allah. You have the Nehma, you have the wealth. The Jannah is from here. You have to walk in peace. No, you are. And never judge nobody. May Allah, Allah as a wajah, give us all Allah, Jannah. That's a labor, Sheikh Ayakumullah. Yes. Barakallah fi. Yes. The keeping the heart clean is by taking the medicine for the heart, the Quran. The Quran is the is the medicine and the cure for the heart. The heart becomes filthy and impure through sin and turning away from Allah's book. But the more you read the Quran, and you ponder and contemplate over the words of Allah, the heart becomes clean. And of course, with doing good and constantly making istighfar and remembering Allah, these are the things that purify the heart. The shaitan can only come near to us when we are not remembering Allah. But when we remember Allah, the shaitan goes away. When you don't remember Allah, he comes close. When you remember Allah, he flees. Like when the adhan is called. He flees because this, these, the adhan has within it the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the magnification of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the Prophet sallallahu described the dhikr of Allah azawajal as being a fortress around you. A fortress like a... You know you have the book, Husn al-Muslim, the fortress of the Muslim. Why that word? Why that title? Because the adhkar are just that, they're a fortress, right? You have an enemy that's out, you build a fortress around yourself so that the enemy cannot get in and penetrate. That's what the adhkar are for, right? On a daily basis, the Prophet taught us what to say as a means of protection. Look, when you, it's simple. When you leave your house and you say, Bismillah tawakaltu ala Allah wa la hawla wa la quwata illa billah, the, the Prophet said it's a protection from the shaitan. <coughs> Simple. When you're coming into your house, Bismillah, Shaitan can't come in your house now. Right? How many times we forget to say Bismillah? You go in your house, next thing you know, you're arguing with your wife, you're arguing with your children. And Shaitan walk right in with you. But you know, sometimes we overlook these things. Easy, easy affairs. You know? But but important. Important. So we have to do our best to constantly remember Allah throughout our day. We have time to read the Quran, take some time and read the Quran. You know, making your, your, your daily prayers. If you're able to get to the Mashik praying congregation, that's better for you. And if not, you pray where you at. You know, and, and, and other than that, from doing good. Anytime you do good, your iman increases. But when you do bad, the black spot is put on your heart. And then it grows and it grows and it grows if you continue to do bad and you don't make tawbah. So what's important, Barakallahu Fikum. That we strive on a daily basis to be better 
nobody is perfect. We all make mistakes, we all fall into sin. But as the Prophet mentioned, But the best of those who constantly fall into error are those who constantly repent. The one who repents from a sin is like the per excuse me, like the person who didn't commit sin. The Prophet said that if if no one would have would commit sins, Allah would have wiped out the entire creation. And then brought about a creation who would sin, but they would seek his forgiveness. Okay, so the issue is not that you make the mistake. The issue is how do you rectify the mistake? Right. Turning back to Allah making tawbah. Barakallah fikum, inshallah, we'll stop at this point. Whatever is correct, the praise is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Whatever is incorrect is for myself. For subhanakallah, muhamdika, shadu an la ilaha ila anta, staghfiruka wa tabi'ah.